as we come to this time, of course, we do come in a spirit of prayerfulness and seriousness. Yet at the same time, there is joy. Joy because the Lord said, this cup is the new covenant made in my blood. Um, As you take this, what this supper symbolizes is that God is your God and you are His people. That's what Jeremiah said as he looked at the people of God in his day and looked forward to the cross. He said, the new covenant will not be like the old covenant. For in the new covenant, God will be their God and they shall be His people and He shall write the law on their hearts and they shall know Him and He shall plant them in the land and they will never be moved. It will be theirs an inheritance forever. So when Jesus spoke to those disciples that night when He said, this is the new covenant which is made in my blood, they understood This is our hope. This is the hope of the nations. This is all we have. And so as we come, we celebrate. This is mere juice, really. And bread, bland, unleavened bread. It has meaning, though. And I want to explain that to you and then give you a moment to reflect over your life in silence. Why the bread? Bread is the most common staple of a diet. It's the most common in our diet. We have to have it. And in Jesus' day especially, the unleavened bread symbolized a purified life. Is what it commonly represented was a purified life. And so God chose this as the symbol of His Son because His body was righteous. There was no sin in it. He was obedient to every part of the law completely. So when you take the bread, you remember the passage where it says He had no beauty in Him that the world should desire Him. You think of the passage where you realize that the Lord was a man like us. His flesh was like our flesh except without sin. And so we come realizing that John 6 is true. Jesus said, I give my life, my body, and it's bread from heaven. He who eats of this bread shall live forever. What did he mean? He meant, as we were talking about earlier in Bible study, to eat the flesh of something was to take part in it. It was a deep association. In idolatry, they offered a sacrifice and then ate it, consumed the whole sacrifice because they associated with that. It was a way of worship to their God. And so when Jesus says, eat my bread and drink my blood, they understand. It's not simply a hat I wear one day a week. This relationship I have with Him is life and breath to me. Without Him, without Him, I have no hope. And so it's to associate with Christ. When you come and take the bread here, what you're saying to those gathered and what you're saying before God is I associate with Christ completely, publicly, 
in my life. My life is His life. His life now is my life. And so it's a very serious thing. The fruit of the vine is chosen as a symbol because one, it does represent the newness of life. You know, Jesus said that He was the living water that would well up to life internally in whoever believed in Him. He was living water. So it's a vibrant thing, this fruit of the vine. It's also chosen probably because of its color reflecting the blood which was shed. We haven't drawn near to a tabernacle made with hands. Hebrews says, we've drawn near to that tabernacle which was not made by hands. He was, is, was and is our tabernacle. He, we draw near to Him and Him alone. He is our hope. He is our life. He is our tabernacle, our place of dwelling. So when David says in Psalm 27, In the land of the living, I will have joy. This is the joy he had was Christ and Him alone. So, that being said, who is welcome to take of the table? Everyone who believes in His name for salvation can take of the table. No church membership is required. We don't limit it to just those who come to church here at Grace Fellowship or in a certain particular way of thinking. One qualification, I am in Christ and He is in me. He is my only hope. He is my salvation. That's the requirement, relationship with Him. And so if you're a believer here today, the table's open to you. If you're not a believer, what is this about? It's not about singling you out. I don't want you to think that. But it is an opportunity for you to see the gospel. Paul said, as long as you do this, you proclaim the truth. This is preaching. It's a visible, active preaching. So we've gone to the step of making it that here at Grace Fellowship. After our time of reflection, you'll be asked to come one at a time to take the elements. The bread, which symbolizes the body. The juice, which symbolizes the blood of the covenant made in Christ. You'll come by yourself because we all come to salvation by ourselves. There's no national requirement. No family requirement. You may be here today and you may say, no one in my family believes in this Jesus. You can be the first in your family. He doesn't shun you because of your lineage. It's Him who stands with hands open saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He's the one who says, come and take my yoke upon you and my burden for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's Jesus who says to you as an individual, he who believes in my name shall have eternal life. There's no family requirement. There's no national requirement. We don't have to be Jewish by nationality. There's no economic requirement. You don't have to be able to offer him anything. As a matter of fact, that puts you in a great position. The Lord said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And He said that when you come to Him in Isaiah, He said you come naked. 
You come without silver and gold. You come empty-handed. You have nothing to offer. So you may be from a family that has no one saved in it. You may be with us and say, my whole ethnic race is lost. You may say, I have nothing to offer him. And you may be sitting there today saying, I'm lost. And and I want to know how to believe in this Jesus. I want to take just a moment to share with you how you can believe in him and be saved. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. As a matter of fact, we didn't become sinners. You know, we were born that way. Psalm 51, David says, In iniquity, I was formed in my mother's womb. I was born a sinner. What is sin, you might ask? And I say, the definition of the Bible is, it's falling short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, how do I know I'm a sinner? Well, ask yourself this simple question. Are you God? And do you meet His character? In perfection, have you never failed? If you say yes, then you are guilty of pride. The law says all of us are sinners. Sets it out very plainly. So we're all sinners, cut off and severed from God. No hope in this world. What's the consequence of my sin? It's death. It's death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're here and you're a sinner and you're not in Christ... The reward for your sin, the just reward for your sin, payment is death. Everyone will die physically, but not everyone has to die spiritually. Sin kills us physically. It kills us spiritually. Separates us from God. Jesus said in John chapter 5, The hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear my voice and come forth. Those who have believed and done good to eternal life and those who have not believed and done evil to judgment. So we're all sinners. And if you're here today without Christ, the reward for that, whether you knew it or not when you came in here, is judgment, eternal judgment and separation from God. So what is hope? Our only hope is Jesus Christ. You see, the problem was that there was a separation. God here and man here and no way to bring the two together. The only bridge that brings man to God is Jesus Christ. God, the Bible says, put on flesh and He lived with us and His name was Jesus Christ. Peter tells us it is that name and that name alone under heaven that men can be saved by. 
He lived for 33 years sinless, perfect obedience to the law in every count, righteous. He was taken by the hands of men and crucified on a cross. And yet they didn't take Him against His will. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay down my life for my sheep. And if I have power to lay it down, I can take it up again. And that's exactly what He did. You see, because He was righteous when He died and He was buried, on the third day, He was raised up from the dead by the power of God because He had no sin in Him. Remember what I said? What is the punishment for sin? What is it? Death. So you say, how could Jesus die? Well, He died because His flesh died because of my sin and your sin. But then God judged Him righteous and raised Him from the dead. Jesus physically came from the dead back to life and now seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. I have no hope except Jesus Christ. The one bridge from my sin to acceptance with God. How? How am I saved then? If you believe in these things, you have life. That's what John said. So believing is trusting. In the Bible, believing means to trust. See, it's not just what we know in our minds. It's not just what we feel is right or what we think might be right. It's what in our heart we say is above everything else. The moment of salvation is the moment that you say, Christ is above all. He is the one hope of my life. If He can't save me, I cannot be saved. Oh, Jesus, save me. There's no ritual you go through, no prayer, magic prayer that you can say. It really is a commitment, a residing, an abiding in those truths of Christ. It's a relationship. And so you may have come here. No family heritage of salvation. No racial connection to Christ through being a Jew. (laughs) You may say, I have no hope. I'm a sinner. Lost. Deserve death. And what I'm saying to you by the power of God's Word is you don't have to leave that way. You do not have to leave that way. You can believe on Him and be saved. You can do it now. You can commit yourself to Him at this moment. We are warned in the Scripture. Christ warned us. He said, Repent. And believe, for the kingdom of God is here. It's here now. In other words, salvation is today. It's not tomorrow. It's not in the future. It's today. 
So he stands ready to open his arms, welcoming you as a sinner, as an individual to him. And when he saves you, he gives you eternal life. He brings you into a beautiful relationship with him and the Father. And you become literally a part of his body, his bride. So when we take the supper, we take it individually and we sit and wait patiently for all the brothers and sisters to take the supper and sit. And then we take the elements one at a time together. Because once we're saved, we're saved into the body of Christ. We now live and breathe and have our moving in Him and in the fellowship He's given us throughout the ages. It's a serious moment, isn't it? In our culture of slap-happy jokes, we often forget the reality of eternal life, even as Christians. It becomes simple to go through day after day after day as if there will be a tomorrow. And so it's times like this when we're sobered to realize death is a reality, judgment is a reality, life is ending by the moment. What will you do with Christ? What will you do with Him? One last thought on salvation. Because I, I, think, I think I'm speaking to people who've been church most of their life for the most part. And it's easy to answer all the right answers mentally. But then we hear Christ say, that there will be those who will come on that last day before Him. And He will tell them to depart because I never knew you. And they will say, but we prophesied in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. We knew you, is what they're saying. We knew who you were. Here. They had it here. They knew all that was necessary factually to be saved. It was a small move that kept them from relationship with Christ. It was from here to the heart. It was that trust that I'm talking about. Because at that moment He will say, I never knew you. Jesus, I knew all about you. And he says, I know, but I didn't have a relationship with you. That's what that word know means there that he uses in that text. You knew all the facts about me, but I had no relationship with you. Therefore, depart from me, for I never had a relationship with you. Good works, church, all the right answers. Don't rescue a sinner from hell. What does? Absolute, unwavering faith that He and He alone can save. That's it. That's all. I want us to pray together, I want us to search our souls.
And then I want us to celebrate our salvation. If you're saved today, the table is open at the end of this prayer to come and take. If you're not, you might be, you can be saved even now. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts and the minds and the lives of every human in this room. You knew us long before we were born. You fashioned our days, each one. You numbered the hairs on our head. You you knew all of these things. Most of all, you knew those who were your sheep. And so God, what I'm asking you and pleading with you to do is don't let any of your sheep leave here without a confession of faith, without a believing, a real trust, a real love for you, a commitment to a life in you. God, please don't let any of them leave even today without saving them. Lord, I ask that you would help me and all those who are gathered here who already believe in you. Help us, God, because we so easily are taken away into the things of this world. Civilian affairs, common activities, and we forget and are not mindful of how great a salvation we've been given. We reflect over our lives, our sin, your forgiveness and acceptance as a child. And we come to you now in this communion dinner celebrating that you will come again and take us to be with you. And we're looking forward to that time in hopeful expectation that you will complete the good work that you began in us even unto the day of salvation. So, Father, as we reflect somberly, help us to celebrate also that you are saving all who believe in your name. Lord, we love you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.